Surprise! Now you're looking to see what's coming next. That word surprise is a word that brings automatic anticipation. And it gets our attention, and you're wondering what will take place next. What is this guy going to do? Don't worry, it's a matter that we've all heard that word, and, and we're familiar with that word. And most likely, maybe even in your mind right now, you can relate it back to the time where you were surprised. How many of you have been surprised before by someone or, or something? We've all been surprised in times in our life, and there's surprise news that comes our way, and surprise things that take place, and the yelling of the word surprise is a matter that you get to watch somebody's expression. And I would say this, the greater the expression, the greater the surprise, right? And, uh, and so it's a matter, it's kind of fun. I have a mischievous side to me. I know none of you knew that. But uh, it's, it's a matter that I enjoy watching someone, and this is bad, but I enjoy watching someone get caught off guard in a way that they're surprised. Now, I don't want to be surprised myself, but I don't mind seeing someone else be surprised. The joke at Christmas time around my wife's family is the matter for years, who has that special news? You know what I'm talking about? I'll give you a hint, we have five children. And there's others, her brothers and sisters that have kids. And uh, it's been a matter that, you know, the Christmas present of the next grandkid, surprise, and I'm glad that there hasn't been surprises in our, in our uh, family. Um, and so Christmas time, we're, we've been good so far for a while. And, uh, and so, but my wife made a blanket. My wife made a blanket that uh, was, get this, was for her mother. But it was made out of her mother's baby clothes. And it was for her, but she thought another grandkid was on the way. <laughs> you know, the expressions of someone being surprised is priceless. You can see laughter, you can see tears, you can see uh, hugs, maybe even screams, the eyebrows raised, the open eyelids, uh, maybe even a, jop, a drop jaw, and uh, more expressions on the face, I think the better the surprise is. I don't know about you, but how many of you have tried to put on a surprise for someone and you have found it's very hard and very difficult to surprise them? It's almost as if it takes work to surprise somebody. Some people are like that. And it's almost as if some people enjoy making it difficult for you to surprise them. I think one of the things that I enjoy most about surprises, one of my favorite surprises, is when a military man or woman comes back home. And boy, it, it can bring a tear to your eye, and boy, it can bring really a lot of emotion to you, and you don't even know the family, but you see a surprise, and and uh, you'll even uh, see people, you know, surprise military man or, or woman to their family, maybe on a football field, or maybe even at Christmas time in a, in a box. They're actually hiding inside that box. Have you ever seen maybe pictures of this or videos of this? And it's a matter that, you know, it's, they're in that Christmas present. It's a big box, mind you. But they open that Christmas present, and there they are, in the fatigues, in their uniform. And what a surprise that is. What a special thing that is. This biblical narrative this morning in Mark chapter 2 is full of surprises. But to know the surprise, you kind of have to know the setting of the surprise. So first of all this morning, would you please notice the setting of the surprise? The setting of this surprise. 
the background and, and leading up to the surprise, you need to know you, the, the area that the surprises are taking place and, and what's, what's happening in this narrative is that Jesus is in the house. Jesus is in the house. And Jesus had been away from Capernaum. He had been in the synagogues. He spent some time in the desert. He's been preaching the gospel. He's been in Galilee. He's been healing sick people. And matter of fact, in chapter 1, you end of the chapter, you would find that the leper was just made whole. He's healing people. And it's a matter that he's traveling around preaching the gospel. Can you think of this for me for just a moment? Would you indulge me in this moment for a second here? Think of how the Word of God was giving out the words of God audibly. Can you imagine hearing the Word of God give out the words of God audibly? Now, we have the Word of God. I believe we have all that we need of the Word of God and the Bible. But can you imagine Jesus' voice? I wonder what it sounded like. I wonder how much compassion and how tender it was. I don't think it was a loud, booming, strong voice to be able to get your attention. I think it was a matter that there was none other like Jesus' voice. And to hear the Word of God being spoken Think of this. I mean, the Word of God being spoken by the Word of God. And at this time in Jesus' life, it's believed that He's coming back to Capernaum. As you notice in verse 1, it says, And again He entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noised, it was made known, the Word had gotten out, that He was in the house. And maybe He was coming back to Capernaum actually to get away from even the crowd. I mean, it healed many people. The problem was that the Word was still getting out where Jesus was. And so if, if that was the case, then in verse 2 it says, And straightway many were gathered together, insomuch there was no room to receive them. If you were to look at this room, and, and, and it was, it, if it would be the room that Jesus was in, it would be a matter that people would be peering in the windows. People would be standing outside on the steps. People would be filled in the aisle. All, all pews would be full. It would be a matter that there was many gathered together. I want you to notice some of the setting of the surprise here. Letter A, please, if you're taking note, I encourage you to do so if you like. Maybe it'll help as you look over them later on. But the setting of the surprise, letter A, is there's a cause for them coming to Christ. There's a cause for them coming to Christ. Would you notice it says, Many were gathered, insomuch there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them, and they come unto him bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. But in verse 2, there's a difference of the crowd. There's men that are bringing one sick of the palsy in verse 3, but in verse 2, it's talking about many were gathered together. Can I propose to you this morning that they were not there for the right reason? The reason they were coming to where Christ was was not for the right reason. Most of them had just heard that some things were taking place. You know what they wanted in on? The next surprise. What was Jesus going to do next? We want to be there. We don't want to just hear about it. We want to, we want to see what's going to happen. And, and they wanted to be there for right around the corner what the next miracle was and what was going to take place. And their curiosity had got the best of them. This man named Jesus, he's doing things. And if you want to see live action, if you want to see, if I may, the show, if you want to be entertained, then come see what he's going to do. 
They were there more for the healing than for the healer. They were there more for what was going to take place in front of them than getting close to Jesus. Here's what we would say in our day and age. It's sensationalism over spiritualism. It's an emotion. It's a feeling. And, 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 and the view of Christ was not right. And it was a matter that we got to stop and ask ourselves, even in this moment, this morning as we begin, how do we view Christ today? See, do you and I view Christ for what He can do for you? Why have you come here this morning? What is the cause for your coming to Christ? What He can do for you or for who He is being enough? Because I can tell you this morning, who He is is enough. And the cause for coming to Christ, they're looking to be healed. They're They're not looking to get as close as they can to the healer. This is the difference, looking for things they could see. By the way, I don't know about you, but I feel as if very much so the world will dominate, will dominate you through sight. I mean dominate. If you're not careful, and if we're not careful, we've got to be on guard each and every day, each and every moment, each and every second. We're to look to Jesus, and if you do, then then it's a difference if you find the author and finisher of your faith. The song, Just a Closer Walk with Thee, granted, Jesus is my plea. Daily walking close to Thee, let it be. Dear Lord, let it be. I am weak, but Thou art strong. Jesus, keep me from all wrong. I'll be satisfied. I'll be satisfied. As long as I walk, let me walk close to Thee. James 4.8 says, Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. You know, it does not say, Draw nigh to God for what we think God can do for us. It doesn't say that. Matter of fact, the verse goes on to say a little more abrupt, a little more bold here. It says, on the contrary, what we are to do, and and it actually says, cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify ye hearts, ye double-minded. The year 1961. We're talking about the setting. We're talking about the cause for coming to Christ. The year 1961, day January 20th. Don't worry, much gray hairs I have, I was not alive in that day. But January 20th, 1961, maybe some of you might remember this, a clerk of the U.S. Supreme Court held the large Fitzgerald family Bible as John F. Kennedy took the oath of office to become the nation's 35th president. John F. Kennedy desired very deeply to move the audience with his inaugural speech. And days leading up to it said that he actually carried his speech with him wherever he went. And he would rehearse it and go over it and go over it. He wanted to be prepared. He wanted to be ready. He wanted to make sure that every word was said right and that those were the exact words that were going to be given on this one chance that he had to stand before the nation, before the world, and to make sure that it was a matter that exactly what was said was needed to be said and how it was said was properly given. The most famous part of his speech, you'll recognize it as soon as I start to say it, is a matter that he said, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. My fellow Christians, Christian ones today, we, we don't need to ask what God can do for us. We need to ask how can we get closer to God. Amen. We need to ask what are we doing for Christ today? See, the big matter is eternity. 
See, the greatest mission is the Great Commission. See, Matthew 6.33 still stands true today, that seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Isaiah 55.6, seek ye the Lord while He may be found, call ye upon Him while He's near. That's an urgency. Seek the Lord in His strength, seek His face evermore. Proverbs 7.15 says, therefore, I'm thankful for this, came I forth to meet thee, diligently to seek thy face, and I have found thee. But to meet with God, we've got to be diligent. We've got to seek Him. I want to ask you today, what's your cause for being here? Well, I'm glad you're here. I know the pastor's glad you're here. I know God is pleased with you being here. Why'd you come today? You're not going to get much of a show up here. You're not going to get much entertainment. There's plenty of that out there if you want to go for that. But it's a matter that the cause for coming to Christ should be different it should be a matter that we're not looking for a feeling. We're not looking for an emotion and how great I feel and what it does for me. And boy, that was awesome. Okay, God is more awesome. God offers so much more than emotion or feeling. Can I tell you this? God is bigger and better than any feeling or emotion you and I can have. We've got to be careful why we're coming to Christ. So many were gathered. But the closeness we have with Christ is determined by what we do with Christ. You know, the closer you get to the light, the more darkness is revealed in your life. You know, the closer you get to Christ, the more humbling it is. The more convicting, the more challenging it is. You say, I feel, I feel bad. Well, it, it shows a matter of, of a need for dependency on God. And I need God, and I, I want God, and, and I want to be closer to Christ, but you know what I'm, I'm finding, and, and I'm still... Learning this, and it's a constant work in progress. But the closer I get to the physician, the more sickness I see in my life. And the more I get to know the Lord, the more I get to know about myself, and myself does not look very good. And so the closer I get to Christ, the more humbling it is. And so what you notice with a cause for coming to Christ in the setting that we have of the surprise, we also notice Christ. Let her be the concern for the individual. So not only in the setting do we have a surprise, a cause for coming to Christ, but we also have letter B, a concern for the individual. Now we're just talking about the setting. We're just talking about how the surprise is going to happen. We're, we're leading up to this. I mean, what is the surprise? I mean, tell me the surprise. And surprise! Well, there's a crowd, yes, but Christ is looking at the individuals in the crowd. See, the crowds never determined Jesus' success. Never. Jesus always looked at whatever size crowd it was as an opportunity for the gospel to get out. It didn't matter if it was one person, like the woman at the well, or if it's a huge crowd. I imagine this to be its overflowing house, at least, in this story. He does the same thing. Verse 2, he, he does this. It says, He preached the word unto them. And they come unto Him, bringing one. Just one. One. Can we stop again and can we pause for a moment and just and I ask you today and ask myself today, I wonder today, are we still interested in one? Coming to Christ as we are the multitude? Because I believe that if we want the multitude to come to Christ, it starts with one. Amen. Jesus did not get caught up with the masses and miss the one, not Jesus. 
Matter of fact, in Mark 16, 15, it says, Go ye into all the world. Yeah, it talks about the world. And preach the gospel. Yes, and preach the gospel. That's what's to be preached. But it says to every creature. Luke 15, 7 says, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over. Get this. this is, now think of this as you. You're, put your name here. Over one sinner. There's been a time in your life, I trust. If not, this morning I hope you will, will do so. That it's been a matter that there's a sinner that repents. And there's more than over 99 just persons which need no repentance. Luke 15, 10, likewise I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Many of you are familiar with John 3, 15 and 16, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. For whosoever shall call upon him, the Lord shall be saved. Most likely, and hopefully you realize that whosoever is anyone, and that's someone, and that's everyone, but it includes one. Can I ask you today, who is your one? Who is my one that we are leading to Christ? See, if we're going into missions month. We're, we're talking about missions. I mean, Wednesday, we enjoy prayer and pizza. But it's, it's a matter that what it's about, the missions, is really a mission for one, even one more in our life. And the greatest mission in our life should be the Great Commission. And, and the reason, do you believe this? Do, do I believe this? That I'm alive today, that God has breathed breath into my nostrils and, and that my blood is flowing and that my life is alive because I'm to actually be on this earth to bring someone else to Christ. Do you not believe that? If we believe it, when's the last time we personally asked God to give us one more soul? How burdened do we get about the matter... God, just please allow me to, to tell someone else about Christ. God, please allow me to, to have a divine appointment. God, please allow me to take and have that boldness to, to reach another one for Christ. And one more, the last time you and I prayed that God would give us just one more. See, God is concerned about the one. Just as much as He's concerned about everyone. And so the last time the word was given, the gospel shared, Jesus is preaching the word of them. And can I tell you, would you look at, please, with Mark, at, um, Mark 1, verse 22, please. Just a, maybe a page back in your Bible there. But Mark 1, verse 22, when Jesus speaks, He actually speaks with much authority. And I'm not talking about tone. I'm not talking about being strong, although He, he had the authority to do any of that. I'm talking about He had authority. Notice in verse 22 of Mark 1, And they were astonished at His doctrine, for He taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. How did he have authority? Authority comes through life's experiences. See, the setting of the surprise, there's people that are there. They've come. Oh, the, the crowd is, is, is uh, present, and there's the numbers. But God is not concerned about getting the number. God is concerned about that one and each and every one that's in that number. See, God is concerned about the individual. And God is there to do something miraculous, and it's going to be a surprise of what takes place to these people. Oh, they're there for the show. They have no idea what a show is coming. They have no idea that, that God is going to not allow them to leave the same way they came in to that house. But one of the most distinctive marks of Jesus speaking is that He speaks with authority I want God's authority in my life. I want God's power in my life. But you know, authority comes through life's experiences. 
Please understand that authority comes and grows out of your personal experience and what's been lived and what's been seen and what's been felt and not just dreamed up, not, not hypothetical. No, it's true reality. And it's a matter that sometimes I think the message is not getting out about Jesus because He's not real to us first. He's not really real to us. So much so that i got to tell others about Jesus and God is working on my heart in this area. And this is the mission of the Great Commission. And this is what the Christian life is meant to be. It's not meant to be to stand on someone else's authority and stand on what someone else's experiences are and to stand on what they believe. No, it's to believe God and to believe what He has to say is true. And that authority then comes. And it's because it comes as a result of what God is revealing to you because you're spending time with God. And you've been with God and you're walking with God and, and you have a personal walk with God. And so it doesn't just happen from time to time. No, it just it comes from time in His Word. It comes from power of God coming to our life because you know why? You've been with God. And you can't help but talk about God because you've been with God. You know, the times that I find in my life that I don't talk about God the most are the times that I'm with God the least. I'm embarrassed to say that. But the times that I'm with God the most are the times that I have a compelling and I have a drive and I have the initiative to want to go forward and, and really say something to someone that, that I feel is in a kind manner careful to, to be able to talk to them about the gospel, but to at least share the gospel or at least hand them a track because authority comes and power comes. See, we're all to be at least bringing one. See, we're all to be concerned about the individual. There's still value in one, always will be. And the emphasis is that one more was brought to Jesus. Well, who got to lead him to the Lord? What's the name of so-and-so? Who brought who? And, and how did they get to come to know Jesus? Well, I'll show you. We, we got some names in the Scripture here. Luke 5, 18. Luke 5, 18. How did this one come to, to know Jesus? I mean, we need to know who brought them. We need to know who led them to the Lord and tell us their name whose visitor they are. Luke 5.18 gives us the answer. Luke 5.18. Here it is. And behold, men. Brought in a bed a man which was taken with a palsy and they... I want to know who led him to the Lord. I want to know a name. I want to know who brought them. No. Men. They... See, the emphasis is not on who brought them. It's that they were brought. Amen. See, the emphasis is not how did they get to Jesus. No, the emphasis is that they got to Jesus. Well, don't you understand this story? It's a matter that the surprise is coming, and we maybe even know the surprise, and what's, what's coming is a surprise. I mean, they're going to lower him down to the roof, the ceiling. I mean, that's a surprise if you're underneath there. Secondly, the shock of the surprise. The shock of the surprise. In verse 4, back to Mark 2 if you would. Mark 2. See, the concern is more that there was one brought to Jesus. The setting of the surprise is the cause. Why, do, why have you come to Christ today? What, what are you doing with Christ? And why are you seeking after Christ today? To be healed? To be changed? You just want to see the healer. 
the concern for the individual. And then secondly, the shock of the surprise comes in verse 4, and when they cannot come nigh unto him for the press, in other words, the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed. Most of the people are probably standing, they're standing room only. Imagine they're crammed in, we would say like sardines in a can. They're just standing, and a select few, maybe, you know, are the ones that came early, they got the best seats in the house. It says that they're, in Luke 5, 17, it says that there's Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by. I get the impression that they're spectators, not participators. They're sitting there. And praise the Lord for this church and the participation we have in, in this church for people. And, but there are some participators in verse 3. They come unto him bringing one. There's a lot of participation going on here. I mean, the chance of them bringing this one, their friend, to Jesus is very, are very slim. In that day, it was a matter that was concerned for, for the people that they thought, by the way, it'd be, it's wrong for us to think this way even today, what I'm going to share with you. But in that day, they thought if you were sick, it's because of sin. And so you can imagine, they thought this man of palsy was, well, he's sick. Well, it must be because of sin. We've got to be careful. That's the Pharisees and hypocrites that thought that. And the chance of them getting to, G, to Jesus is slim, and slim because of the crowd. The crowd is there. They're self-indulgent. We would call it the Black Friday crowd. There for what they can see or get. Chances of him because he's, this man is paralyzed. I mean, realize this is not the day and age we live in. This is a man that's considered to be unclean. He's in pain. He most likely has disease or maybe many diseases. There's no neurosurgeons in that day. There's no wheelchairs. There's no antibacterial hand sanitizers, ointments. There's no therapy centers. There's no daily needs no, that are being met in all the instruments that are around him. No, his daily needs are being met, and, and he's having to have help for just about anything and everything in his life. Down to all bodily functions, down to anything that takes place. I mean, his life is one of hardship. But these men cared enough about this man of palsy to get him to Jesus. And I have to ask myself, who do I care enough about to get them to Jesus? What sacrifices will I make to get someone else to Jesus? What comforts will I set aside for the sake of a soul that I don't know? I don't know their name. I don't, I don't know what they look like right now, but, but God is going to put them in my path this week. I can guarantee even maybe later on today you'll come across somebody's path that God has placed in your path. And it might be your one and only chance to share that with them about Jesus. And by the way, Jesus died for them just as much as he died for you. So the last time that we can say that you and I helped someone get to Jesus. See, let me tell you something, and maybe you want to write this, write this down. It would be a good thing to write down. True friends bring friends to Jesus. True friends bring other friends to Jesus. I want you to think of this condition of the man. I mean, the, cloud, the crowd is probably, should have actually cleared out for him. I mean, they thought he was he's sick and he needs help the most. They should have cleared out for him. I wonder why they didn't. They must have not cared enough about this man. So much so that there is four men that cared for him enough to take him onto the roof 
and to work diligently to do the work that they had to do. And I can imagine that the surprise is coming. And can you picture it and all the other people in this packed out room and, and the surprise, you, you start to hear something. And you start to see a little movement. You start to wonder what's going on. Last night, my family and I were, were watching a, a film and the major impactful part of the film, and we, at, at that moment, we're watching it, something dropped somewhere in the house. We had no idea what it was, and we were, what was that? What was that? Later, we found out, later on, went upstairs, and it was um, a piece of uh, furniture, uh, uh, or excuse me, a small piece on our furniture had fallen. And boy, it made a noise. I don't know how it fell. I don't know what took place there, because all of us were downstairs. But uh, it was a matter that, what is going on up there? What is taking place? And this hole in the roof is getting bigger and bigger, and, and it had their attention. And it's a matter that all these people came to see a show where they're about to see a man named Jesus do something special. And they're not really there to hear him teach, but they're going to figure out that he's going to teach them. And I want you to imagine, please, the matter that the dirt has now fallen and things have been moved around up above them. And it's a matter that light is shining stronger. And the, the bigger the hole gets, the more light starts to come into this room. And maybe dust has fallen on the eyes of, of some of them that, as they looked up. and they, Oh, no. Oh, man. And we know at least the hole is being made in the roof. And it's not the latest go to Lowe's and, or Home Depot or one of the hardware stores. Ace is your place, whatever. But uh, it's a matter, you know, they don't have a shovel. They don't have, they don't have the, the tools. More than likely, they're doing all this by hand. And the smaller pieces of wood and the sticks and the thatch and the mud and the mud-type tiles that are known to be on that day of what the roof would be. And all this time, their friend is laying there just watching all this movement and wondering, I'm going down on top of all those people? You're going you're gonna to lower me? into there? Please make the hole big enough for me to be able to fit. And I find very interesting, there is a lesson here that we must notice. They let down the bed. They didn't drop down the bed. They didn't, oh, he'll make it on his own. He'll be okay. He'll survive. He's got it. No, they carefully care, attention, to make that hole big enough, to let down the bed. And I love it. I don't know about you, but sometimes just as much important as what is in Scripture as what we don't find in Scripture is this. There's no room for error. And the care that they have for this man, they don't plan on bringing this man back up. They only plan on letting him down to Jesus because Jesus is enough. And what Jesus can do, you know what I find here? They're confident in the nature of what Jesus can do. In verse 5, please notice this with me. Jesus saw their faith. Jesus saw their faith. And the reason I believe you and I don't tell others about Jesus is because we really don't believe that God has us alive today for us to tell someone else about Jesus. We really don't believe that and have enough confidence and our faith be enough that we're so confident in what Jesus can do. If we just get them to Jesus, Jesus will take over. By the way, the Bible never says that we're to change people. The Bible never says that we're to change them. No, we're to let Jesus do the changing. We're just to get them to Jesus. 
It's a matter that we're to do that. And Jesus wants to see our faith. And when Jesus sees their faith, He does way more than ever could be imagined. And they're confident in the nature of what Jesus can do, that they have told someone that we need to tell someone about Christ, and they brought someone to Christ. And, and so here we go. Number three, special surprise. Verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, He said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. I love that He says, Son... In Luke 5, he mentions man. And, but in this passage of Scripture, you, you tie the two together. He says, son, because I believe this, that Jesus' desire for our relationship with him is stronger than you and I can even have a desire for him. Jesus wants you to have a relationship with him. Amen. Jesus wants the unsaved to be saved. Jesus wants for all to come to know Jesus. It's a matter that Jesus has a work in us that's always greater than we can ever imagine. And Jesus is the biggest, greatest picture in, in our life, then it'll be a matter of that moment by moment and minute by minute we're thinking about, oh, I want to make sure I'm confident in what Jesus can do. I want to make sure I bring people to Him because He'll take over anyways when I bring them to Him. And it's a matter that He's the potter, we're the clay, and His ways are higher than our ways. And, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. I don't think they thought, man, Lord, we didn't bring Him to get saved, and we didn't, we didn't get Him here to be... We, we got Him here to just be healed. No, 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 no. I don't think they thought, man, we're so disappointed that Jesus is now saying, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. No, no, no. They had trusted in God. They were confident in His nature way before they brought Him. And as they brought Him, as they're making that tread, and as they're, they're following those trails and those dusty paths, and as they're, the, the pain of their arms bringing this man to Jesus, and the care and the attention of the whole being made out, and they're letting down this man to Jesus, because Jesus, if there's anybody that can do something with this man, it's Jesus. And we're confident in Jesus. So confident, we're going to bring Him. So confident, we're going to do what it takes. So confident, if it takes a long time to get him there, if we got to go on the roof, if we got, whatever we got to do, we're going to get this man to Jesus. And Jesus sees their faith. It's been said, it's better to go into heaven maimed than whole into hell. He sees their trust. And what this story is all about is found in verse 10. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Amen. See, power to forgive your sins today. Power to forgive my sins today. But you know what Jesus wants? He wants to see your and my faith. Jesus wants to see their faith. And surprise, verse 8, it's a surprise when Jesus perceived in His Spirit that they had reasoned within themselves. The world didn't understand it. The people there didn't understand it. Jesus is omniscient. He knows all. He, he can see all. And He already knows that these, what these men are thinking as they're sitting there reasoning. How did this just happen? Oh, man, what, what is going on here now? I don't get this. I don't follow. This man, he, he claims he's Jesus. And I don't understand what's going on. Well, Jesus already was reading their mind. He already knew what was going on. He already knows all. He's omniscient. And if they were smart enough, they would have figured out that this man named Jesus just, in essence, called them out and realized that what they were thinking was kind of out in the open because Jesus already knew what they were thinking. And he says forgiveness. And he talks about, you know, the matter of, of, their, of their question, sick of palsy and forgiveness. And, well, Jesus is the one who could forgive. So this morning I'm saying this, how did all this happen? Because there were some men, just four, that brought one. Because those men were confident, confident in the nature of what Jesus could do with their friend. Because true friends 
bring other friends to Jesus. And it's a matter that our faith can be seen if we bring others to Christ. I just wonder this morning, is it a matter that we don't bring people to Christ because we're really not confident in what Christ can do for them? Now, He did something for us. And we can rejoice. And there's been a great, great change since I've been born again. But a great, great change is not just for me to be born again. It's for others to be born again. Matter of fact, I think the responsibility is a little more heavier on those who know Christ to bring others to Christ.